Church, it is good to be worshiping with you this morning. Daggone, you forget how tall Noel is when you get up here, you're like, oh gosh, a total eclipse of the preacher. <laughs> so today we're finishing up our Eastertide sermon series where we've been looking at ramifications of the resurrection. And to do that, we've been digging into one particular chapter in Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. We've been looking at chapter 15, because in that chapter, the Apostle Paul is confronting all sorts of questions and putting forth all sorts of arguments related to the historical reality of Christ being raised from the dead. And he's teasing out its impact on our lives and its implications for the whole world. So our passage today is taken from the end of 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 38 and 42 through 50. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. And so it is with resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, made of dust, the second man is from heaven. As one of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as one of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the one of dust, we will also bear the image of the one of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We are definitely going to need to pray about that before we talk about it. <laughs> so let's pray together now. Lord God, you alone are the word and you alone have the words of eternal life. Speak, Lord. Speak to us as we are gathered here today and speak through us as we are scattered in the world this week. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of our resurrected King Jesus. Amen. Now, throughout chapter 15, and indeed throughout all of his letters, Paul is making the startling and all-encompassing claim that when God raised Jesus from the grave... God's ultimate victory over sin and death had started. That when 
Jesus broke free from death, the kingdom of God was breaking into the world. That when the Holy Spirit was poured out, God's future invaded our present. In short, Paul is claiming that the Christian life, like the kingdom of God itself, is already but not yet. Now what exactly does that mean? Now Jesus declared in his preaching and he demonstrated in his miracles that the reality of God, that the reign of God, that the kingdom of God had drawn near, that in fact it was presently among us or in our midst and that we could enter it by faith. So in that respect, Jesus described a kingdom that's now. At the same time, Jesus also described a kingdom still in the process of coming, that would fully arrive later, that would be fully manifested only at his second coming. Thus, the kingdom is also future. And that's the paradigm of the already, but not yet. Now, we see this structure in the way that Scripture describes resurrection life. So, for example, in John's Gospel, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense, has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but it has passed from death to life. Jesus is saying that his followers already walk in newness of life. They already have resurrection life. But just a few verses later, Jesus also says, For the hour is coming, in the future, when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Here, Jesus indicates that the fullness of eternal life is yet to come. Now, seminary professor David Brionis created this chart to further illustrate this reality. There it is. Okay. So as you can see, we're living now in between Christ's first coming and his second coming. In the overlapping of this age and the age to come where resurrection life is already but not yet. Now, that's a helpful chart, but as helpful as it is, we really don't need it because we can see this dynamic reflected in our daily experiences. So for example, during pregnancy, new life has started, but it's not fully developed. It has not yet fully arrived. And during those nine months, new life is already, but not yet. Now we can see this structure and this tension in one of the parables where Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. Now as a seed, the mustard plant is tiny and insignificant and easy to overlook. Indeed, a bird could swallow it and not even notice it. But later, as an enormous shrub, the mustard plant is so large that birds can make nests in it and make their home in it. And in that way, Jesus says, the kingdom is both already just beginning, but not yet. 
Now, we can see the same tension in our passage where Paul uses similar language to describe the kingdom reality of bodily resurrection. He writes that our current physical bodies, they're like seeds. Now, if you look at a tomato seed, it looks nothing like a bright and fruitful tomato plant. A sunflower seed looks nothing like a blazing and vibrant sunflower. An acorn looks nothing like a mighty and towering oak. And so it is, Paul says, with our bodies. Now they are weak and fallible. They wear out and they wind down. They're prone to aging and disease and injury. But in the resurrection to come, they will be raised up strong and powerful, imperishable and glorious. Then Paul goes on to say something that's puzzled readers and interpreters for centuries. He describes our resurrection body like this. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now in saying this, Paul is not asserting that our physical, tangible bodies will be transformed into something ethereal or vaporous. Paul's not talking about the difference between what our physical bodies and our resurrection bodies are made of. He's talking about what those bodies are filled with. As Bible scholar N.T. Wright notes, the contrast that Paul is making is between a body animated by one type of life and a body animated by another type. The difference between them is found, if you like, in what the two bodies run on. And eternal life runs on Christ. And that new kind of life is conceived in us when we put our faith in Christ. Now, this is important. For Paul, faith is not so much about right belief or right doctrine as it is about a right relationship with God through a life-giving connection to a living and risen Savior. And through the umbilical connection of faith, resurrection flows from Christ into us now, in the present. As Paul puts this in another letter, he says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, present tense, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Thus, faith in a risen Christ fills us with new power that will cause physical resurrection in the future and creates spiritual resurrection in the present. And that's the point that Paul's been making throughout chapter 15. Christ's resurrection in the past is not merely a pledge or a symbol of our resurrection. It's the real beginning of that process in the present. We will have eternal life in the not yet because eternal life has already started now. Now, all of this should give us durable and resilient hope. It means that we can trust what God promises trust what God promises us, and we can do what God asks of us because we follow a faithful and obedient Savior who did what God asked and was raised from the dead just as God promised. And praise God for that assurance. But 
If we stopped here, we would miss the tension that's part of the already but not yet structure of kingdom life. So it's true, when we look into these verses, we can see the brightness of unquenchable new life. Absolutely. But the hard part is, when we look around in the world and we look into ourselves, we still see the shadow of that same old death. Now, Paul was no dummy. As he looked around, he saw people captive to darkness and violence. He saw people oppressed by injustice. He saw people trapped in trauma and beleaguered by wounds and deceived. And all of that caused them to doubt the goodness and realness of God. In other words, he saw around him the same things that we see around us and at work in us. So if resurrection life starts now, what's with all the death? Now to balance our resurrection perspective, it's helpful to add another way of looking at the already but not yet kingdom life. So think about it like this. In World War II, the Allied triumph at D-Day decisively broke the power of the Nazi war machine. And it essentially assured the ultimate defeat of the Axis powers. But even though victory was inevitable, the war continued for another 11 long and bloody months. And during that time, the world continued to be gripped by destruction. And people continued to be killed and wounded and taken captive. And there's a similar aspect to the way that we visualize the kingdom of God. Because Christ won the cosmic decisive battle when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. But even though Christ's ultimate victory is certain, the struggle with sin and death still rages. Because evil is still at work, we continue to see violence and deception and injustice and disease and confusion all around us. And that will not end until Christ returns. Paul acknowledges this in the chapter when he says Christ must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now engaging with this perspective reminds me of the story of a person named Joseph Cerna. Cerna was a decorated American soldier who had suffered numerous injuries in his many battles. And even when he returned to his home in North Carolina, he continued to struggle and suffer. Cerna began drinking in a vain attempt to dull his physical pain and manage his very severe post-traumatic stress disorder. His drinking grew worse, and he was eventually arrested for driving under the influence. After another probation violation, Cerna appeared in court before Judge Lou Oliveira, who himself was an Army veteran. And Judge Oliveira sentenced Cerna to one night in jail. Now, even though it was only one night, Cerna was terrified. Because being locked up in any kind of confined space reminded him of the worst day of his life when he was on patrol 
and his armored truck flipped over and landed in a river and suddenly started filling up with water. Cerna and three other soldiers were trapped in the wreckage overnight, struggling to breathe. And the next morning, the only person they pulled out of that wreckage alive was Cerna. So on the day that Cerna was placed into his cell and the door closed behind him, the walls started to close in. But just as Cerna's mind was going to a desperate and dark place, he heard the cell door open and in walked Judge Oliveira. Oliveira sat next to him and said, we are in this foxhole together. And together they made it through the night. Church, Jesus Christ is our compassionate judge, veteran of many battles. Christ knows what it is to live in the tension of the already but not yet. Christ knows what it is to struggle and suffer in the ongoing battle with sin and death. Christ knows that we can feel trapped by things that have happened to us in our past, that we can get stuck in our shame, that we can feel like we're drowning in despair. But Christ is with us. His Spirit is in us. And with Him, we can make it through the long night between this age and the next. Because church, we're talking about Easter here. Easter that creates this already but not yet life. And that means that while our future is certain in Christ, our present is marked by uncertainty and challenge and suffering. And that tension, it's absolutely true. But church, it's absolutely temporary. One long night. We must take heart and be of good courage because Christ is with us. The kingdom of God is broken in. The ultimate victory of Christ is coming. The resurrecting Holy Spirit is loose in the world and working in us. And all of these things are as unstoppable and unkillable as Jesus himself. We're talking about Easter here, church, and this is not about candies and bunnies and pink hats and purple ties. It's not a domesticated metaphor about the cold winter becoming a warm spring or about new life arising from dead ground. Easter, it's about the dethroning of sin and the defeat of death. And Easter unleashes death-defeating, sin-slaying, soul-sanctifying, resurrection power. Church, you're Easter people. You're a new creation in Christ, and that means you can walk in the newness of life, even when you're surrounded by death. You're not prisoners to your past. You're not mired in your mistakes. You're not stuck in your old self. The old has gone and the new has come. And all of this because of resurrection power. As Easter people, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells powerfully in you. And that means you are not alone in the fight. You're not destined to fail. You don't have to grow weary in doing good. You can resist temptation. You can persevere through hardship. You can keep the faith even when you falter because you're forgiven and not by your own might, but by resurrection power. As Easter people, you've been raised up with Christ. That means you can put to death the ways of death 
that are still operating in you. You can throw off your old self with its corruption. You can starve your selfishness. You can pummel your pride. You can mortify your meanness. You have been set free from sin and it no longer has dominion over you. You can do all these things through Christ who strengthens you with resurrection power. You are Easter people born again to a new and living hope. And that means you've been made new to be channels of God's grace, carriers of Christ's mercy, ministers of reconciliation, servants of the poor, an oasis to the outcast, instruments of justice, and agents of divine love, all because of resurrection power. Church, we need to saturate ourselves with the reality of the resurrection. We need to practice it daily, pray over it passionately, pour over it privately, and parse it out in community together. Receive it, repeat it, rehearse it, and when you fall or fail, return to it. Never forget, church, you are Easter people filled with resurrection power that will raise you up in the future even as it holds you up in the present. Amen.